It is something no one should ever have to go through, but has happened all too often. On this show, how the incident at a Parkland, Florida high school has reverberated through the racing community and what they're doing to try to help. Plus, controversy remains over the use of the whip in horse races. We'll get the latest movement on rules governing whip usage in California. All that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. In its best form, sports can be a refuge from the tumult of the rest of the world. But in reality, sports are not immune from what goes on around it. The South Florida racing community, like so many other residents down in South Florida, has been dealing with one of the most profound tragedies in recent memory. Another community is in disbelief, shocked by devastating violence, this time at that Florida high school on Valentine's Day. Students evacuating with their hands up. The suspect in that deadly shooting is now in custody. 17 people have been killed, students and adults. Yes, 17 people killed in the shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School, but many more survived it, including the two sons of trainer Carlo Vacareza, whose wife Priscilla owned 2012 Breeders' Cup Turf champion Little Mike. The Vacarezas moved to Parkland from Illinois in the early 2000s, and while we wish the circumstances for our chat were different, we're pleased nonetheless to welcome owner-trainer Carlo Vacareza for the first time here to In the Gate. Take us through that day, Valentine's Day, as the events unfolded. I received a test message, so my first thought was somebody just went on a gas station and you know, tried to steal somebody's car, tried to, you know, steal somebody's pocketbook. And um, I just didn't pay no much, too much attention. And like maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I received a, a test message from my son, Nick, that, that we okay. So I kind of uh, got a little concerned and I put the televisions in the, in the restaurant and every single station was, you know, concentrated in Parkland. And, uh, you know, and I started worried a little bit. I tried to call Nick and right there after, and he answered the phone. And uh, things had got a little escalated a little, a little more. And I started just keep watching the coverage of uh, of ESPN. I mean, excuse me, ESPN on the television. And, you know, they say there was some fatalities and there was a shooting happening inside the school. So actually it was, it was a very tense moment. Now, I can't say I know what your family's going through, but my very good friends lost their six-year-old daughter in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. And over five years later, it still seems for them like it happened five minutes ago. How shaken up were your sons, Nick and Mike? Well, I think Nick, he's taken the 
the the blunt of this because uh, he lost one of his best friends, Joaquin Oliver, and only Nick, you know, tried to just to get away from the shooting. So he went back inside and tried to. Uh, he was smart enough to FaceTime his brother, and his brother answered the phone and he told him exactly what it was through FaceTime, and uh, they got together and then they jumped the fence to an adjacent uh, community. And uh, that's what, uh, you know, the, even the shooter tried to do the same thing. I think they shooting the people, dropped the gun, and he jumped on the same fence, basically. And he went inside this private community, and that's why, you know, they had after, after the, so many crazy events, he got arrested. Did I read that your older son knew the perpetrator? Yes, he did. He was a, a classmate in one of the classes with him, uh, I think in 2017. And uh, and then thereafter, he got uh, ejected from, uh, from, from the school. And I think Nick took uh, either, you know, one or two classes with him. So uh, they knew him. He wasn't his friend, but just uh, the new as a, as a student. You know, I mentioned Sandy Hook earlier. It's unbelievable that another of my friends up here used to work, well, he still works at a, a radio station in Connecticut, and two of his former colleagues became librarians. One became the librarian at Sandy Hook Elementary School and was there that day. The other was the librarian at Stoneman Douglas High School and was there that day. And because of the communication between those two women over the years, I think a lot more people were saved at uh, Stoneman Douglas High School than might have otherwise been because people knew what to do. Yes. I think there's so many, so many unanswered questions right now you know, between the, the cop that they refused to go in. And meanwhile, two security guards without guns they went inside and tried to save the kids. The football coach, without a gun, he went over and faced the shooter. I mean, while the police that was there, they did absolutely nothing. I mean, it's just kind of a, um, heartbreaking. Some of the kids that feel betrayed by, by the police action because maybe if he would have saved one life, that would be one life less that was lost and uh, I think the action of that, that police officers is completely is a betrayed to the community, is betrayed to the school system and is betrayed to Stoneman Douglas. What kind of support have you had from the racing community down there? Oh come on. it's unbelievable. I mean just uh, when that happened and people knew about it, I mean I got called from all the way from the top, from Mrs. Strona, Timmy Ridbo, P.J. Campo, Billy Budget, Fletcher, uh, Chad Brown, McLaughlin, and Chuck Simon, Eddie Please, I mean, and you name it, every single person. And I'm, I'm sorry if, uh, you know, I can be talking to you for an hour and mention names, but was, I mean, unbelievable. It's just people that they were so concerned, especially with Nikki. Nikki's a very, it's a very young kid, very likable. Uh, he goes to the bar every time that he's known school, he's in the bar with me. And uh, 
he knows every ride, trainers, owners, jackies, you know. And so I'll be honest, it was overwhelming. You know, I think somebody put it really nicely that the Parkland event united race community with Thomas Douglas. Yeah, I'll be honest, it's just uh, it's, it's un- unbelievable, the support. And, and I told somebody a couple of days ago, sometimes the racing community gets so much bad publicity. You know, we have so many haters there that they hate this sport of horse racing. But a situation like this show show the world that we're very, very good people and we're very united. Owner-trainer Carlo Vacareza joining us here on In the Gate. Now, you talked about how people came together for you. Tell us about the event that you held to raise money for the victims. Well, at Frank Candino's, the restaurant in Boca Raton that John Williams and myself we own, and uh, we closed the restaurant last Sunday uh, from 2 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and we raised uh, so far over $186,000 just to give back to the community and uh, to help the victims. And it was overwhelming the amount of people that came and it was overwhelming the amount of horsemen that they came to the event. How do you go back to training racehorses after something like this? Well, I mean, you know, the world's gone, you know, it just uh, will take time to heal. And I think time... Time will heal all the wounds. The kids that went back to school for a couple of hours, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, for a couple of hours. Then they went back Thursday for half a day. And especially the seniors, they're just going to go there. They're going to have to cope, have to heal with the tragedy. It's going to be harder for others. But I think knowing the fact that some of the people they already committed to different colleges, and uh, it's going to be a lot easier. Case in point, and Nick is going to University of Kentucky. He's taking the agriculture program in UK, and I think just for him to just to get away from Parkland and go to Kentucky, I think it's going to be a great step for the healing to start. You're going to have to buy him a winter coat, you know. <laughs> he has one. He was telling me. Uh, the other day, actually, I said that, you know, I said that the winters in, in Kentucky, they're brutal. But he adjusts, you know, he's, he would live in Chicago for a couple of years, so he's, uh, he'll be okay. Speaking of the students at Parkland, how do you feel about the way they're speaking out and taking action after what happened? Well, I think out of all these tragedies from Columbine, Sandy Hook, and many more throughout the country, I think this is the one that uh, is going to make the biggest statement. I think some of these kids, they're absolutely phenomenal. The way they speak, the the way they carry themselves, uh, they're so eloquent, and I think they're not going to stop. And one of the biggest impact that I heard from some of them, that they are not going to stop. They're going to just go, and they're all united, United with the teacher unions, and I believe next week is going to be a nationwide walkout during the middle of uh, the day. And uh, when Nick assisted me a couple of nights ago, and he said on television, and he told a reporter, I said, Don't forget that I'm 18 and 
the other class behind us is 17. Next year, we're all going to vote. And these kids right now, they all, most of them, they got their registered ready. They're going to vote the next election. And I think it's going to make a huge, huge impact. Well, we certainly wish your family continued healing. We're glad that your sons came out of it physically okay. And we hope that everything moves in a positive direction going forward. And thank you so much for a few minutes, sir. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, controversy remains over the use of the whip in races. We'll get the latest movement on rules governing whip usage in California with jockey Mike Smith, so don't go away. I come from a culture where if there are two people involved in an issue, that means there are three opinions. So it comes as no surprise to me to see the wide range of comments about the California Horse Racing Board adopting a measure regarding jockeys' use of the whip in a race. The rule basically states that a jockey can't hit a horse with a whip more than three straight times before waiting to see if the horse responds. The rule, as previously written, did not actually have a minimum suspension time listed, but stewards at California tracks generally used three days as the minimum. In late February, the CHRB adopted a new rule that sets a minimum standard of two days, and that has sent the opinion slinging faster than mud at a sprint car race. The trainers were not involved in the meeting. The stewards should have more discretion. No horseman submitted anything in writing before the meeting. It won't really change the way stewards make decisions. And on and on and on. Whip rules and enforcement of them contribute to the optics of the sport, especially amongst animal rights activists who are constantly nipping at thoroughbred racing's heels. So, from the standpoint of both public relations as well as horse health, the whip rule is more than a minor issue. Who better to give us some perspective and a longer view of the rule's evolution than the veteran of 36 years in the saddle, the Hall of Fame jockey, Mike Smith. And we welcome him back to In the Gate. The rules from state to state are obviously meant to deter excessive use. How well do they accomplish this? Well, I mean, I think it's definitely for the good. It's working. There's just some little things we need to iron out about it that aren't working. But but that's for the horse is what we're trying to get to. You know, you, you know, people just aren't aren't overusing the whip and 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 using it for the right reasons. And and you know, we've already made so many changes with the whip. I mean, the whip really doesn't even hurt a horse anymore. It's got a whole cushion popper. I mean, we we've gone you know a, a lot of length to to make it better. You know, and right now what we're having a little bit of trouble with is is there's a they call it a chance to respond what exactly is a chance to respond so that's what we're having a little bit of a, a leeway is it one jump is it two jumps is it you know only the guy that's on them can actually feel that if they're responding or not so you know it's turning into a number you know where you can't and even though someone might be tapping one on the shoulder you know if you do it four times in a row and you're just tapping them on the shoulder that's that's breaking the rules, so to say, because it's not giving a horse a chance to respond. But yet again, it's not turning out the whip over and actually really, you know, reach back and hitting them. So 
in saying all this, you know, it's, we're trying to figure out the, the exact formula. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever find the exact formula, but we're working at it. You know, we're, we're, we're getting closer to it and it's getting much better. I, I, I can honestly tell you that. Well, understandably, it would make sense that you would want more of the discretion there belonging to the jockey is what you seem to be saying. Well, depend. yeah, I mean, you can hit a horse just one time and it's the way they do it and where they do it at and it's abuse, you know, and you can have a rider that's in perfect, beautiful rhythm and really just going with the horse, encouraging them because they're running from it and, and not overusing it and not be anything. It's actually beautiful riding, you know, and, and, and it's not, you're not harming the horse in, in, in no way. So it just, it just all depends, you know, I mean, it, it, it's got to be some sort of dis- discretion to the rider and the steward uh, for that matter. I mean, they, if they feel that it's definitely uh, abusive, well, then they can pull you up and call you out on it. The exact number is, is the problem that you're having with, you know, where you go a number and you try and give them a, a stride to respond. And, and if, if when you're really good, you can actually, you know, hit them right on that stride. And is it giving them a, you know, so there's there's these fine little lines that it's like a, it's like in any sport where the referee was he in or was he out? Was he, he can't really tell the, have the ball control of the ball when he went down. I mean, it's it's kind of gotten turned into something like that where, you know, they're very questionable calls at times. Again, we're all working on it. We're trying to get it better, and everything is for the better of the horse, you know. Well, I guess maybe you have to get the French judge in there to see what he says, you know, and like in the figure skating competitions. But, you know, on the other yeah. hand, you've also got enough of a handle on the sport in the bigger picture to understand the optics to the general public of what could be considered excessive use of the whip and how that could detract from the image of the sport in general. So how do you balance both sides of that? How do we balance it? Well, we're, we're, tr- we're trying to get to, to something that, that looks right, that is right, you know, that's better for the horse. Again, we're, 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 we're much closer. I think we're doing a whole lot better job at it, uh, but there is these fine lines. I mean, the other day I, I got fined for uh, overuse of the whip, and I never uncocked the whip. I never took my hand off the rein, you know, just because I tapped him on the shoulder. I was, I was in a hand ride, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I mean, you could have asked any any person that knows about racing or knows absolutely nothing about racing if I was abusing that horse in any way, and I guarantee you it would have been a unanimous decision that no, I was not. But yet you get you get fined because I was in a handwriting. When I was handwriting, the, the whip is, is tapping on the horse, and it tapped him four times in a row. So, you know, whereas, you know, the, you're, the guy next to me, and I, I got outrun, actually. I finished second, and you watch the rider that, you know, next to me, and he's literally, whip, you know, raising his hand up, hitting his horse, but he, he did it within the rules, so he didn't get a fine, but I did. I never even, what we would call whip, I just tapped him on the shoulder as I was handwriting. So would you call that abusive, or would, what would you call that? See, that that's, that's the, the gray line that we're kind of having a problem with. If you go by just a number, well, then, yeah, you, you break it, but was it uh, was it in any way being overuse of the whip? And it wasn't. As a matter of fact, I never even used it. Now, you started to allude to this a little earlier, but from your experience, which is vast, and that's why we're so grateful to have you here, how has the use of the whip evolved over the years in American racing in general and perhaps in California specifically? 
Well, I mean, I, I never, you know, before we even started a lot of this, you know, I mean, a lot of this with the whip rule stuff was, you know, started out in Europe where it was just a number. Well, as far as long as their lanes are and the riders are having a lot of trouble with that because they didn't feel they were overusing the whip. But how do you count while you're busy riding in million-dollar races? I mean, it's almost, it's impossible. <laughs> You know, I mean, to do all this, all this is going on, and 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 just because you overcounted one one number or something, all of a sudden you're getting all these you know ridiculous fines and all this stuff. You know, but in the, in the states we never had trouble, and then when whenever there was, if a steward saw that someone was definitely abusing a horse, in their in, in, you know in their eyes anyway, that they, they would pull them up and fine them. So you, I mean. The, the the whip is, is is part of riding. I mean, it's kind of a part of the art of, of riding. Uh, horses aren't always don't always want to go first. You know, they're not they're not necessarily all leaders. I mean, you turn them loose in the field, there's going to be one that's always in front. There's going to be one that trails. That doesn't mean that one that trails isn't as fast as the one in the front. It's just his personality. He don't want to go first. You know, so that, some horses need a little more encouragement. I, I think you know, throughout the years we've come up with this cushion whip where. I mean, basically, it doesn't even hurt them anymore. I don't know if you've ever seen one. Have you seen one? I have. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, the ones we got now here in California, man, they go almost all the way down to the handle where it's, it, it just makes noise, basically. I mean, it, it'll, it'll, you know, you can swing it and pop one, you'll, you'll get a slight little something off of, off of my own leg, but, I mean, it's nothing like the, the whips used to be. I mean, there's a, uh, you know, way back in the day, as whips hurt a whole lot more than they do now. They, they don't even really hurt a horse anymore. You don't even hardly ever see a horse's whelps on a horse or anything anymore because of them, which I thought was great. But like you said, in the public eye, even though we feel we're not hurting them, it does, it, you know, it'll, it'll look a bit, I shouldn't use the word barbaric, but it does look like, you know, we're trying to make it look better for, for the public as, as well as, you know, things should be, you know, as long as we're doing things that are better for the horse, that's all that really matters. So, that's how it came into play, and so we've tried to go with it. The only problem we're having with it a little bit now is the chance to respond, the number of how many times you can in a row and can't. And but we're working at it, and we're getting really much better at it. It'll come down to a, a recipe that we'll all be happy with, and we'll continue to do it. You know, as long as it's better for the horse, no one really minds trying. Now, two members of the California Horse Racing Board have suggested a blind survey of jockeys to gauge their feelings on the whip issue. What do you think of that? Sure. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't care if they if they had my name to it. I mean, that's what I'm kind of here for. I'm one of the older riders. I've been around. Uh, I'm going to voice my opinion. I'm going to tell you what I believe is right. It's not always going to be. But I'm I'm up for for making it right and trying to make it right and trying to make it better uh, as long as it's for the it's for the well being of a horse. I, I don't think you'd have any any problem with any rider wanting to do what's best for the horse. I mean, if they if it wasn't for the horse, I certainly wouldn't be in my house right now, standing in front of my fireplace talking to you. The horse is giving me everything that I that I've got. I certainly want to give back to the horse and, and want to do right by it. I mean, I enjoy riding them. I love horses and, and we're trying to do it, what, what's good for the horse and what's good for the sport, what makes the, the, the public happy as well. Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith joins us here on In the Gate. He's won four Triple Crown races, including the 2005 Kentucky Derby on the Longshot Giacomo. 
This year, Smith is the regular rider of dual stakes winner McKinsey. McKinsey Blinkless for the first time is being stoked up now. He's moving up out three wide. He puts his head past Shiver Me Timbers and draws within a neck of the leader. They come to the quarter pole and it's all out blitz on the inside of McKinsey. McKinsey strides clear at the eighth pole, puts two lengths on all out blitz. Four lengths away, Shiver Me Timbers with my boy Jack. But it's a domineering display by the ultra-talented McKinsey as he takes the sham while well in hand. And I know that just hearing the name McKinsey is emotional for his trainer, Bob Baffert. Brad McKinsey, the longtime executive at Los Alamitos, who died of cancer at age 62 last August, was a good friend of Baffert. How well did you know Brad McKinsey, and therefore what does writing his namesake mean to you? I knew Brad very well. A great man. Wonderful for the sport. Did a great job. Uh, a great guy. I, I knew him on and off the racetrack. Uh, of course, not as well as Bob and, and Mike Pegram known him, but known him pretty good. And, and, and yeah, it means a whole lot. You know, getting the opportunity to ride this horse and named it in his honor. And I know it means a whole lot to, to Mr. Pegram and Bob Afford. I mean, they they were like brothers. So it's pretty neat that sometimes you name a horse after somebody, not too sure. You know, a lot of times they don't show the talent that he thought that they had. And so far, this horse has definitely shown that. He's shown that he'll go the two turns. And, and we're just looking forward to the next spot. You know, good Lord's willing, he'll stay healthy and continue to move forward. And so far, so good. Well, that's interesting. You know, he seems to have the right running style. Comes from just off the pace, not too far back. Got a little battle tested there in the cash call. So in your mind, what other boxes do you need to check off with him to have him ready for early May? Well, he's checked them off. I mean, he, he definitely has the ability. He's, he's, he's shown that. Uh, he's shown he'll get the two turns. Uh, they're, they're athletes, man. And you just right now at this point, you, you, you hope it's continue to develop, to get fitter, to get stronger. And in doing that, they need to stay healthy. Praying that all goes well. He stays healthy and he continues to, to march forward. And if he improves from... Even just a little bit from now until May, man, that that <laughs> that'll even be better. And he's got a, he's got a license too. I mean, it, with his you'll see in his races, I mean, he's still a little bit immature. He's learning. He's he's getting better at each and every start. Uh, so with every race, he seems to have taken a step forward, which is a good thing. So far, there hasn't been a step backwards. Or, like I said, the Lord's willing, he won't do that and continue to to, to improve, and, and uh, we'll find out the next time he runs where he's at and how things are going with him. Well, speaking of good health, we wish you continued good health. Thank you so much for a couple of minutes here. We look forward to seeing you and uh, McKenzie down the line. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm I'm really excited about him. He's his, uh, I haven't been this excited about a three-year-old colt in a long time. I mean, he, he does things that are that a horse his age shouldn't be able to do as easy as he does it. So we're, we're, we're really excited about him. Our thanks to Mike Smith and to Carlo Vacareza. Last summer, the champion Songbird struggled to win at Delaware when facing opponents she heartily outclassed. Then up at Saratoga, she lost out to Forever Unbridled, and her owner Rick Porter said that would be her last. It turns out she had ligament soreness in each of her front legs, But what made this deal so unusual is that Porter then yanked his other horses with Jerry Hollendorfer, and their relationship had become dissolvable. Our good friend Bobby Halt reported that when Hollendorfer was asked about Songbird, the trainer curtly hung up the phone. 
The doctor who examined Songbird did not fault Hollendorfer, but the trainer expressed his feelings through his tone. If there's one thing we need more in racing, it's budding rivalries. Too many people try to rise above. Since we can't keep horses on the track, the feuds must come from people because there's one emotion that's stronger than love. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In the Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time. 